0: Welcome to the Littler Diversity and Inclusion Podcast, conversations related to the human resource challenges of an ever-evolving workforce.
1: Hello, my name is Cindy Ann Thomas. I am a principal with Littler and a co-chair of our firm's EEO and Diversity and Inclusion Practice Group. I partner with our clients in the diversity and inclusion space with a focus on advising on as well as developing and providing legally compliant training and education initiatives. Hello and welcome to our program to our now faithful and growing audience and newcomers alike. Affinity Group was the most common term for the employee networks that were said to be founded circa late 1960s in the wake of the social turmoil that rocked American cities. Well, since then, the types of affinity groups grew from race-based groups to include gender, sexual orientation, disability, and veteran status to name just a few. And the labels have changed to now include the business resource groups or employee resource groups or ERGs or BRGs, but many of their purposes are virtually the same. To give employees from certain demographics so-called safe spaces to share ideas and grievances and provide support to one another. These groups have experienced varying levels of sponsorship, structure, resources, and influence in their respective organizations over the years. Now, in case you haven't heard, and while you were summering, Consulting Titan Deloitte has decided to dissolve its affinity groups for women, minorities, and LGBT employees after a quarter century of sponsoring such groups. Some, like Deloitte, will argue that these groups have run its course. People in the DNI space are talking, and so are we. Now, those who champion ERGs have many reasons for so doing, and we will explore some of them today. To do that, we have Patty Olson, who is the Chief Human Resources Officer with Huron and co-chair of the company's Diversity and Inclusion Council. Huron is a global professional services firm with deep expertise in strategy, operations, advisory services, technology, and analytics within healthcare, higher education, life sciences, and commercial sectors. Huron has enjoyed considerable success with its own version of ERGs. Patty has been with Huron for 10 years and is based out of Chicago, and she will talk about those positive experiences. But affinity groups are not without opponents either. And to help us explore that side of the debate, we also have Dr. Isaac Dixon, who is the Associate Vice President of Human Resources of Portland State University. Dr. Dixon joined Portland State less than a year ago, but has over 25 years of human resources management and leadership experience with an array of organizations in the higher education, business and healthcare industries. Allow me to thank both of you in advance for joining me in what will hopefully be an informative conversation for our listeners. Ah, affinity groups. To have or not to have. That is the question. So let me kick this off with a very blunt question for you, Patty. It is almost 2018. Do we really still need affinity groups?
0: Cindy Ann, let me just start by thanking you for the opportunity to be a part of this discussion that I am so passionate about. And to answer your question, um, the need for ERGs. From my perspective at Huron, unequivocally yes, but not really the ERGs of decades past. At Huron, I feel like we've moved way beyond the old school model of the ERGs and feel like if implemented and nurtured properly, we truly believe ER that are powerful, impactful business resources, especially in the professional services organizations such as Huron. Isaac, same question
1: but with a twist. It's only 2018. Don't we still need affinity groups?
2: Well, Cindy, um, that is a really good question and uh, certainly one in the HR space that we grapple with every day. But today's Uh, environment can be so highly emotionally charged, that by their nature, many uh, employees view affinity groups as places where they don't feel necessarily welcome to voice opinions that are different than what the affinity group supports.
1: So with both of your positions now on the table, let's unpack the issues. Patty, we'll start with you. Based on your experience,
0: tell us about your position on why affinity groups are a good thing. In my role as the head of HR at a professional services company, it won't surprise you that people are the priority. So ensuring we're providing a welcoming and fostering environment where individuals of all backgrounds can really work together and deliver innovative solutions to our client base, that's really vital to our success. So I'll talk a little bit about our affinity teams at Huron. We call them I matter teams, where the I stands for inclusion. And while some are more traditional in nature, we also have some non-traditional teams, including a team focused on experienced new hires and one that's also focused on global awareness. Mm -hmm. Any employee can join a team So for example, you don't have to be a working parent to join the working parents team. And quite honestly, it makes the dialogue and discussion and learning that much richer. Many of our leaders also choose to join various teams to foster relationships, really to more effectively manage their people, and also based on the work that they're doing with clients that come from diverse backgrounds as well. So really for us at Huron, we look at affinity groups to create awareness really further educate our employees, of course provide safe spaces when needed but also be a part of our input and also the decision-making process when it comes to the benefits and programs offered to our employee base. Okay. Now, Patty, talk to us about the
1: challenges that Huron encountered in starting its own version of these groups, the iMatter team.
0: Sure. The biggest challenge we encountered was figuring out how to harness the enthusiasm of our employees to get involved in these teams. Of course, we stumbled a bit, but ultimately, we really realized that was what makes these teams so successful, their passion and desire to bring people together and learn from each other. So instead of trying to restrict them, we created a bit more structure for them to operate under. So nearly four years ago, we created a diversity and community affairs department which is led by a senior member of Huron, and that person had been with the company since its founding. So she understands the importance of our people. She works with all our iMatter teams in a true partnership model, and that's worked really well for us. One of our key learnings, I would say, from our journey is to let the teams grow and develop more organically versus under a bunch of strict guidelines. We have found that if our people feel empowered And there's a sense of ownership. They will absolutely do the right things. Mm -hmm. And we feel like as long as you give them the appropriate partnership with those teams, success and impact will definitely come along the way. Okay. So,
1: Patty, in what ways can, can these groups, based on your own experience, improve the
0: business? You alluded to that. Sure, that's a great question. Our clients, from a Huron perspective, they're really expecting us to deliver excellence. So we know that excellence is all about bringing together the best people and recognizing that we need a broad range of knowledge, skills, abilities, and really experiences to solve our clients' most challenging problems. And our hypothesis, which is really supported by our leadership, is that a company will become more profitable as it becomes diverse. And diversity inclusion, not only enriches the culture at Huron, really builds a sense of community, but also drives connections and collaboration across the organization. And that's been with our clients and also really in the markets that we serve. So the case for continued focus, to us, it's really easy. Um, We know that companies in the top quartile for racial and ethnic diversity are 30% more to have financial returns above their respective national industry means. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: We know that a better diverse climate really is related to increased retention. We also know that our ability to be more aligned to the market and the client makeup is increasingly more important to the industries that we serve. So our focus helps us really attract top talent. And we know that if we have top talent, the clients will come. So we really lead from a Huron perspective with our focus on talent. Okay, but Patty, how do you measure the success of these groups realistically? Sure, we measure success mainly through engagement. So engagement at Huron is formally monitored like many other organizations via an engagement survey. But we also look informally and track engagement through our iMatter team's participation. So we currently have about a third of our employees across the company and across geographies participating in an affinity team. So that's nearly a thousand employees and the number continues to grow each year. So in addition, we also receive countless anecdotal comments about the impact of these teams. And they're cited, they have cited reasons why they've joined Huron, they've talked about why they've stayed longer, The other thing I can think of is we've seen results, for example, approximately one half of our managing director promotions over the last year have been female. And many of those promotes have, uh, whether it's male or female have been active participants in our diversity and inclusion efforts. So we really have seen, you know, career growth for those who have played leadership roles and that's been really exciting to see.
1: And again, with a view to helping companies who want to retain them, what are the guidelines you can offer them?
0: I would I would mention a few. Make them an active member of an important work group. For example, one thing that comes to mind is our benefits and work-life balance. Those have been key areas of focus where we ensured there was a partnership with the teams, but also our internal departments. And I would say ensure those connection points with your business strategy. I know many companies utilize their teams to test new products, launch new solutions in a particularly diverse market. And we've begun to tap into our veterans I Matter team, to help us better understand and grow in the federal space.
1: Okay. Now, today's workplace is very different from workplaces of three decades ago due to factors like technology and remote work arrangements. Doesn't the remote nature of your workforce make these networks difficult, again, as a practical matter?
0: Sure. Um, We don't really find the virtual workforce distracts from the network. We've got about a half of our workforce is already virtual. So, we've set up teams to be virtual, utilizing technology to connect. We do look for opportunities that present themselves to do things locally when we can, and those mainly take place at project sites or geographic locations. We actually view these teams as a really great support to our virtual workforce, as they really bring our teams together. Even though those connections may be from afar, I feel like we've learned to embrace virtual connectivity. And I would recommend make technology your partner, definitely not your enemy, especially in these days. And we've had great discussions, sometimes really sensitive remotely, and they have really made a difference with our employees.
1: Okay. Now, do you use your iMatter teams in the onboarding process for new employees? And, And if so, how do you do that?
0: Absolutely. Not only do we use it in the onboarding, but we highlight it during the recruiting process. So our recruits really have an idea before they even join what's in store for them. We then re-expose them during the new hire orientation process and uh, really throughout their longer onboarding experience. We also try to incorporate discussions during our leadership development programs and the leaders of our diversity efforts oftentimes attend those programs and uh, sit with our employees and really share their, their stories to ensure that the new leaders are really growing with a diversity lens in mind. So talk to us about
1: some of the guidelines, again, based on your experience, for how organizations should go about running ERGs.
0: Certainly, there are things that you need to have in place, and I'm speaking from a here-on perspective here, to help the teams be successful, such as charters, well-defined objectives, and some measurable goals, and then some overarching governance. As we have our diversity council, we also have a diversity and community affairs team. So those really ensure the constant connection to the business, and they also form guideposts and mentors to the teams that we have. And then, finally, I can't say enough about the leadership support needed. So, Mm -hmm. starting from the CEO to our business leadership team, that is really critical. And it's been exciting to see that many of our leaders have served as champions in the teams and they actively participate in our initiatives.
1: Can you talk to us about some guidelines with respect to charters?
0: Sure. Of course we have a framework that gets used when a new team is looking to form this really focuses on purpose goals and membership so we try not to make this overly cumbersome we just want to ensure that the team's leaders have thought through what they're trying to accomplish by forming a new team and then also what they're really committing to because these teams really drive our activities so we want to make sure that they know what they're getting themselves into and in addition every year Each team puts together an overview of the year and submits a plan for the following year. So those are ultimately reviewed by the council and then we use them on a quarterly basis to really make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable to measure progress, to share results, and of course to adjust as necessary. Now do you make the groups open to all so that
1: they are not Just some private clubs where the perception is that you have to know the secret handshake to gain entry.
0: No, every iMatter team is open to all employees, so no secret handshakes at Huron. Okay. Ever heard of any concern, Patty, from employees about
1: open membership? Uh, and that somehow that diminishes the effectiveness of the group. For instance, does the Women I Matter team ever feel resentful about men being involved in some events, for instance?
0: You know, we did hear that early on, and uh, our head of diversity and community affairs team really worked hard to demonstrate the impact of having an open membership and what that really provides. So I would say now um, they find it invaluable to have everyone in the conversation. I don't think issues can be resolved and progress can't be made if everyone's not at the table talking and the right people have to be in the room and the teams really realize that now. We have one of our male senior business leaders championing our women's team and I think we've learned like many organizations that really in order to make progress you can't silo the teams, you really have to have men as part of the discussion to support the progress of women's issues moving forward. Absolutely. And understood. How, let me let
1: me ask you this. How, how do you gin up excitement amongst leaders for such groups to secure their involvement and commitment, especially if those leaders are, quite candidly, white males who don't necessarily feel like they
0: are welcomed by
1: members of some of these different groups?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And that's always a work in progress. I think but one thing we've done over the last two years is really put in place executive champions, as I referenced before, for those teams. So the executive champions are our most senior leaders in the organization, and they work with the teams closely on formulating goals, objectives, as well as just provide mentorship, support from a leadership perspective. The exciting thing is they are also not afraid to address some of the harder, more sensitive topics. So it's really been exciting to see that group get engaged and really evolve over the years. Mm -hmm. Now,
1: you would probably agree with me, Patty, that people hate not knowing. And that's when tensions amongst people who may choose not to belong to a business resource group bubble up. Do you ensure that the activities of these groups are transparent and known to all.
0: Yeah, our teams are extremely transparent. So anyone at any time can read what each team's focused on via our online newsletters, our intranet, Um, in addition to the communications that our diversity and community affairs team shares with the entire company. We look to our teams to help improve our, you know, really business both internally and externally too. So for example, when we're reviewing our parental leave policies, we engage the women and the working parents team to come up with that proposal, which we ultimately approved. And we utilize our LGBTA team to help review the policies each year that we have, and they've really helped us to keep that 100 rating on the HRC index for several years in a row. So there's just multiple examples like that. We're also engaging the veterans team as we continue to grow our consulting practice in the federal space. So we continue to look for ways to connect these teams together as we focus on kind of common priorities and also ensure they're connected with the very passionate work that we do with giving back to the communities. So every October, we celebrate Diversity Awareness Month and we have a company day of service in May. And both of those are just really great opportunities to connect the teams together Because together, they can have such a larger scale impact, whether it be community service or just coming together as as broader teams.
1: So it sounds like transparency is, is a key to your success, is one of the keys to your success. Absolutely. Now, Patty, interest in affinity groups, I have to tell you, is said to be waning, especially among younger employees. Gen Y employees, for instance, for whom race and gender are much less determinative of identity than they are for their older counterparts. How is membership trending in Huron's version of affinity groups?
0: Yeah, we're seeing membership continue to increase, be it it's a little slower than when we first launched everything, but I think that's natural. And then we recently reached out to our senior leaders to get feedback and ensure that they were really staying current on our efforts. And when we do things like that and really make ourselves deliberate in our communications, we likely see an uptick in membership after that. We also see people so excited when they join Huron. They wanna join those teams. They also use them as a way to build relationships with others even outside of the business that they might be going into. So I would say keeping deliberate and focused and that ongoing focus really keeps members engaged
1: okay now it's not difficult to see how these networks can serve to function as an outlet for grumblings about management shortcomings or perceived inequities how do you ensure that meetings for these groups are not simply gripe sessions about working conditions
0: we have found that having really strong leaders in place to ensure that conversation doesn't turn into a gripe session is really important So I believe it was probably a concern early on as we were tackling some really sensitive topics, but it's not even an issue at this time. Given our structure and the strong partnership that exists between the iMatter teams and our diversity and community affairs team, we have found that it's important to focus on prep time and open conversations before most, if not all, discussions to really ensure the focus will have a real impact. And I can't say enough about how important it is to ensure that the teams have a voice in the broader business discussions. That really allows voices to be heard in a really productive and meaningful way. Got it. But it's time for us
1: to turn the tables. So Patty, representatives of many companies out there certainly echo your views. They hear what you're saying, they believe in affinity groups and they are committed to them. But there is growing support for those whose beliefs about these groups echo Dr. Isaac Dixon's views. Affinity groups, BRGs, ERGs, again, whatever one calls them. Isaac, they still have a massive following in corporate America. In your opinion, why is that?
2: Well, you know, my uh, opinion uh, is that from what I've seen in some corporations and other institutions as well, changing what you do is difficult, and uh, especially if something is comfortable to you. But as we've seen in Silicon Valley, where many of these corporations have had affinity groups for some time, there still remains a lot of work to do in terms of mainstreaming some of the ideas issues and concerns that the affinity groups raise
1: good point but do you ever feel like you're going against the grain or do you actually feel like you are the grain of the not-too-distant future
2: well I feel that um, uh, I'm sort of maybe a little bit ahead of things (laughs) Um, I think that Uh, What we will have in the future is organizations inside a company or an institution that are much more involved in the strategic discussion of how um, uh, issues of diversity, inclusion, uh, affect uh, the direction and the the corporate business um, that these groups are part of. In other words, they need to be much more uh, integrated and woven into the fabric of the organization.
1: Point taken. But ERGs clearly present opportunities to employees to gain critical skills, contribute unique insights on business objectives, and become part of a sustainable community that inspires loyalty to the company. Talk to us about a comparable platform.
2: Well, um, what I've seen is that the inclusion of uh, of diversity uh, and the variety of things that it touches upon that can make an organization a better place have to be part of conversations at the executive level. And oftentimes, at least in my experience, um, in, in many organizations, the executives have little to, or to nothing to do with the affinity groups. In mm-hmm. other words, they operate more like a program or a a set of programs rather than being a a part of the organization's um, strategic and day-to-day business needs. And we both know that um, if times get tight or budgets get cut, the first thing to get cut are programs.
1: Right. Now, could ERGs be more viable if companies did a better job of aligning the mission of the ERGs with business interests and branding-related interests? for instance of all employees and executives alike.
2: Yes, I do believe that that in in my mind is the path to success because what I uh, what I've told uh, many of my friends who've known me for a long time is that when I have as many white men in the room who are interested and supportive of the direction and the ideas and the issues and concerns being raised, as there are women and people of color and people with disabilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, then that organization will be moving much faster in terms of integration um, of these ideas and support for them uh, in a really deeply rooted way than their peers.
1: Okay. So Isaac, I'm going to continue to, to push you on a couple of things here. Sure. Proponents of ERGs would argue that there is considerable value in having a structured support group system where members include high profilers, if you will, to send the message to employees that this is something the company values and that you can succeed like me in the workplace. What are your thoughts about how to encourage this kind of community amongst members of such groups in the absence of ERGs?
2: Well, you know, data doesn't lie. And uh, if we look at the number of female CEOs in the Fortune 500, that number hasn't changed very much in the last decade. They are dismal. <laughs> so so why um, are we holding on to structures that haven't really moved us forward? What can we do that's different, more valuable, and invites greater participation and um, and activism among all of our employees? And that's why these these groups, these little subgroups, um, oftentimes you know run counter to that interest.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The other thing that I uh, have seen happen in some of these groups is that they become strictly a forum for complaints.
1: Ah, the gripe session issue.
2: Yes, and some of them engage in uh, what uh, a, a friend of mine called the Oppression Olympics. Everybody <laughs> uh, uh, starts listing off the uh, you know, sins against their people, and then the list just keeps getting longer and longer.
1: But there are ways to control that dynamic, aren't there?
2: Yes, indeed. And, you know, certainly... Uh, Um, having a well-trained DE&I staff, but also, too, having key executives sit in on the affinity group sessions and be part of the dialogue um, really can help keep things uh, on track and uh, the discussion aligned to business needs and interests.
1: Again, point taken. Isaac, is there an opportunity to reinvigorate ERGs with – many companies forming newer kinds of groups that are intentionally inclusive such as multicultural and multi-generational groups or people of color groups or groups whose concern is diversity of thought
2: well i i know of a couple of organizations um that broke down as i like to refer to it broke down the walls between their their brgs and they actually call them uh, employees who support diversity. And that group has employees from all kinds of backgrounds, um, men and women, black, white, Native American, Asian. And when that group gets together, they talk about Um, ideas and issues, but they also talk about areas where the organization can do better than they are now, and they put forth ideas on how to address it. But one thing that they've done more than anything else that I really like is they use data to help drive their agenda.
1: Now, I, I spoke earlier about the challenges of ERGs in a virtual workplace. Let me ask you this. Don't ERGs help ensure that a diversifying employee population feels connected and valued in a virtual and global workplace where employee isolation is very real.
2: Well I you know I I suppose they could uh, if you know if properly structured and and well run Um, but uh, especially in a virtual world um it becomes more and more difficult for people to feel connected without organizations having a really strong um not only recruitment and selection process but uh, employee onboarding programs and um i know uh, some uh, some friends of mine who uh, work from virtual offices uh, and um you know, they've told me at least a couple of them that they went back to going into the office a couple of days a week because being out on their own was just uh, driving them crazy. <laughs> yes. So, uh, you know, I think I think there's pros and cons to it, but I definitely believe that um, what are called uh, affinity groups now um, can play a part, but a much more vigorous and proactive part uh, if they are much more integrated into the uh, company's overall DEI strategy. Yes, I,
1: I completely understand your point, and, and those are some of the points that, of course, that Patty has shared uh, with us uh, today. Let me approach the possibilities for the future of these groups from a generational angle, if I may. Now, Generation sure. Z is very diverse as you likely know them the most diverse of all five generations they've been communicating across geographies due to their interest in social media they're always plugged in Uh, and these people will be entering the workforce in considerable numbers soon they are incredibly collaborative and very social more so than their gen y parents and we know that Gen Z is very entrepreneurial. So if they're not having the meaningful experiences and expectations that they need in the workplace, they leave, they will leave. Against this kind of a backdrop, might we expect a bit of a renaissance?
2: Oh, I certainly believe so. I mean, um, you know, in addition to my full-time day job here at uh, Portland State, Uh, where I uh, run human resources. Uh, I am also uh, an adjunct faculty member and have been for a decade. So I have a lot of the people you're talking about in my classes. Um, You know what we, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and uh, you know, I was uh, sitting and talking with a colleague the other day, and by 2020, none of our students uh, who are enrolled here will have been alive when there was not an internet. Wow,
1: isn't that something?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's a a pretty interesting thought. Um, So, uh, you know, I think that what will happen is, um, you know, and as we've seen uh, with Google, Wells Fargo, and lots of other organizations, there is still a lot of work that needs to be done in changing the culture of corporate America. Um, But I think, that uh, and especially uh, the way this group, um, uh, the, this group of employees, uh, uh, Generation Z looks at things, transparency and mm-hmm. openness of processes is, is going to be critical. And as we, you know, have seen in multiple instances uh, over the last few years, information, both good, bad, and and uh, real and fake, travel at the speed of light.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, in other words, you're saying that Gen Z could be very instrumental in the transformation of these groups as we know them today, Isaac.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I, uh, uh, in other organizations, boards, and other things that I've, I work with, uh, done work for, I have encouraged them, bring these young people to the table much sooner. They see the world differently, and they experience it differently, and they can help your organization stay uh, at the front of the pack.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You you spoke about white men a moment ago. Deloitte will be introducing inclusion councils to replace the soon-to-be retired affinity groups, which will apparently bring together individuals from a range of different demographic groups to discuss diversity issues. Older white men, as you alluded to um, a few moments ago, will apparently have prominent seats on these councils. By having everyone in the room, you get more allies, advocates, and sponsors, Deloitte says. Your thoughts on this?
2: Well, you know, my grandmother lived to be 97, and one of the things she told me was, until you see the world through someone else's eyes, you cannot understand it. And uh, I think that oftentimes we assume uh, what other people should know about mm-hmm. how different groups uh, view the world and why they view the world that way, when many times um, they they clearly just don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so having the opportunity to sit and listen and ask questions um, and get to know people um, is critical. Uh, another one of her sayings that uh, I, I hang on to dearly is, People do things for people they know. They do things to people they don't.
1: Ah. Well said. Terms like affinity groups, Isaac, they come with some baggage due to the social focus of the earliest versions of these groups. Do name changes like inclusion councils or business work teams sway you in any way?
2: Um, uh, no, not really, um, I, you know, it's kind <laughs> of like rebranding something, you know, <laughs> is it Coke and Coke Zero, you know, um, okay, uh, you know, it, 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 the purpose, the strategy, the reason for being have to change. And uh, until those things change, um, you know, what is the, the textbook definition of insanity? Doing the same thing and expecting different results.
1: <laughs> Understood. Do you see other companies jumping on the Deloitte bandwagon?
2: Um, Yeah, I've I've talked to uh, colleagues at a couple of companies here in Portland that are looking at doing much the same thing. They have a much more business integrated view of diversity and inclusion. And um, one company is fairly young, uh, so they've never had affinity groups. Um, but they've always had groups of uh, concerned employees who have uh, banded together and uh, sat down with uh, company uh, leaders and talked through ideas, issues, and concerns, and workplace issues uh, to make uh, the culture of that workplace much more inclusive.
1: Okay, so let me shift gears a little bit. And let me ask you this, America's demographic makeup has been changing profoundly over the course of the past two decades, as you know. Most ethnic and racial groups have increased, add to that that the USA is growing older. Do these types of demographic shifts work for or against the continuation of affinity groups?
2: You know, that's a really great question. And I would tell our listeners that the results of this last election show what happens if people act on things out of fear rather than really understanding the benefits of of what's happening and getting Mm -hmm. accurate information about what it means. Um, So many people feel threatened now yeah. And um, uh, you know, until we uh, sit down and have honest conversations with each other about that fear and what is driving it, you know, we're going to continue to see um, ugly incidents. Uh, absolutely, so you know, and and a lot of it's happening in the workplace. I talk to my HR colleagues uh, who who tell me that um, you know uh, workplace confrontations uh, have gone up significantly.
1: Now, the recent spike in white supremacy activities has created quite a chasm in this country and has sparked a national conversation. Do either one of you believe that historical ebbs and flows pertaining to race relations in this country affect the appeal of or disinterest in ERGs?
2: I think they can, but I, I do believe that, um, you know, uh, Portland, we suffered our own incident when we um, had two people killed on the subway, uh, the uh, mass transit system here, for coming to the defense of a a couple of young women. Um, But we used that incident as a catalyst for discussion. And um, we had uh, students and faculty members uh, and staff members of all stripes who took place in that conversation. And it, it, for many of them, it was really eye-opening. Uh, and especially, uh, you know, uh, I, I have to say it because they are one uh, some of us who are older, right? You know, because you know many people are still reliving 1966, <laughs> and so. You know, uh, to to hear from uh, younger people about how they've experienced the world, what all of this meant to them, and um, their feeling about how we go forward was really important for them to hear. Patty.
0: What's happening in the nation and around the world has really, from my perspective, enhanced the interest in ERGs. We've seen that at Huron, we have taken that conversation internal and a really open forum to allow our people to share what they're feeling, share their experiences, and that's really been invaluable for our employee population. That positive effect of allowing this has been extremely reaffirmed with our commitment to ensuring everyone feels welcome and that they really have a voice.
1: Now, protesters at these rallies are employees. The counter-protesters and victims are employees as well. What is going on in the streets of America is coming to work. The Department of Justice has predicted an increase in alt-right movements and more injuries and deaths associated with them are expected. Do events like the deadly white nationalist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in the year 2017, create a renewed need for employee safe spaces in the workplace?
2: You know, I I, I I know that I've had some employees uh, uh, express uh, the need to continue to have safe spaces uh, to talk, and our, um, our our Office of Global Diversity uh, and Inclusion certainly provides that kind of space to faculty, staff, and students, um, so that's always available. Also, too, uh, you know, greater use of, of employee assistance programs. Um, and And counselors uh, are provide people with places where they can safely uh, discuss ideas, issues, or concerns uh, i And I think that most responsible uh, employers have those kinds of resources available to all employees. Um, but you know getting people in a room and having people gripe and um, you know hand wring and those kind of things um, it just really doesn't serve any useful purpose. Isaac, is there anything in your opinion that can save
1: the modern-day affinity group construct? <laughs> um, I,
2: I, I, think, I think they just have to evolve. I think that, uh, once again, um, you know, if, if you're part of an organization that has affinity groups, invite executives to be a part of integrating them into the fabric of your organization. They cannot remain um, as external little pods that function in their own world. And um, by doing that, A, you ensure their longevity, but B, most importantly of all, they become real strategic assets to your organization.
1: Right, and as we have heard, Huron integrating these ideas, that is apparently a company that is doing it right. Yes, indeed. Patty, do you at least understand the point that those in isaac dixon's camp are making about the fact that employees of various ethnicities and genders are going to have very different notions about what success looks like that in essence a successful diversity strategy cannot be met if you have different groups operating in fragmented silos
0: yeah i can absolutely understand and appreciate dr dixon's perspective We at Huron, we just have a different philosophy. And quite honestly, we don't operate in silos when it comes to our ERGs. So we actually encourage cross-pollination of the groups, and that to us really truly yields better results. For example, we've held LGBTA, African-American discussions together around some really sensitive topics, and we've allowed people to come together and hear different views. And those teams also have several allies, who've also participated in the discussion and we bring together the teams regularly and our iMatter team leaders are also members of the Diversity Inclusion Council. So we work together on a regular basis to constantly be sharing thoughts, ideas, create meaningful community service projects and look always for opportunities to partner. Collaboration is one of our key values at Huron. So really all the teams come together to ensure we have a very powerful uh, Diversity Awareness Month as well.
1: Understood. Patty, respond to a common concern in the opposing camp, if you will, that when these types of groups exist, that there's a perception that a company's diversity challenges are somehow being met, that all is well. What do companies, have to do to guard against this typically false perception
0: yeah just having ERGs does not mean all is well you've really got to have ERGs that are looped into the company strategy and have really that direct input into the business and I feel like that's truly what makes them successful I I
1: appreciate your respective convictions on this issue. I truly do. Patty and Isaac, this debate on ERGs will likely outlive us all and our podcast listeners have certainly come to appreciate my affection for forecasts in the DNI space. So, Isaac, we are now in the year 2030. Where will affinity groups be in corporate America?
2: You know, I still think that there will be uh, some organizations that have them and hang on to them because they're 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 part of their corporate culture. But I believe that there will be a lot more organizations for whom um issues of diversity, equity, inclusion are things they address every day. and um, the, the the construct they will use uh, will be much more fully integrated into the fabric of the organization.
1: Well stated. Same question, Patty.
0: Wow. I wish I had a crystal ball, Cindy Ann. But if I were to speculate, I'd probably say given the increase in millennials in the workforce now and over the next few years, I believe that there will still be a really strong need for the ERGs. But as we've experienced at Huron, I believe the makeup of them may shift So we've already seen the development of our experienced hire team, our global iMatter team. So we might see some non-traditional teams, but those ones have been really important to our employees and our growth as a global company. So that's, that's what I would see in the future.
1: Well stated. One intriguing topic, two compelling positions and many, many points to ponder. Only time will tell what lies ahead for the future of affinity groups, but we hope that if your company does have some variation of these groups, or if you are thinking about implementing an initiative that includes the creation of such groups, that the dialogue that you have just experienced will encourage you to think very carefully about how or even if to proceed and what alternatives might exist. In either case, Littler is here to help you. Patty Olson, chief human resources officer with Huron and co-chair of the company's diversity and inclusion council. Dr. Isaac Dixon, associate vice president of human resources of Portland state university. Thank you both so much for sharing your views on this topic today.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. And as I said at the beginning, this is a topic I'm extremely passionate about, and I just really appreciate being a part of the discussion. Thanks again.
1: I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please feel free to reach out to us at
0: podcasts
1: at littler.com. If you should have any questions about this episode, or if you would like to discuss any component of your organization's needs, with me or another Littler attorney. Thanks for listening. For more information on our Diversity and Inclusion Conversation Starter videos or a consultation, contact us at servicesolutions at littler.com.
0: The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other Labor and Employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com podcasts.